the book of Luke is uh, it's different than the rest of them because Luke is actually part one of a two-part series. There are two letters that he wrote to a man named Theophilus, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. There are two parts. There's Luke, and then there's the book of Acts. So it's, a, a one, it's part one of a two-part uh, series that Luke was writing him. Um, a little bit about Luke. Luke was a close companion of Paul. We know that because in the book of Acts, he referred to, uh, he would say us and we when he's talking about Paul and his missionary journey. So he was with Paul through a lot of his uh, journeys. He was a physician, which means he was a doctor, and he was also a historian. And the book of Luke, the main theme of the book of Luke is, is about Jesus, the perfect son, son of man who came to seek and to save the lost. And I think that the, the Bible Project does a really good job. I mean, they do, they do all their videos, but I think this video does, does a, a really good job. So I'm not going to teach. I'm just going to – no, just kidding. I'm playing. But anyway, so um, I think that um, what, what we're going to do is sort of like fly over chapter 1 through 9, which is the first half, and just maybe just drop down for a few minutes in certain places. And there were certain uh, things that they referred to that we're going to be going over. Like I said before, the book of, of Luke is the first of two letters written to a man named Theophilus. And Theophilus was a Greek man, obviously, by his name. So we know that the, the book of Luke was written for Theophilus and also for Greeks. Because um, as Luke wrote through the book, he would explain some of the traditions that the Hebrews had a little bit more than the rest of the Gospels uh, would. And um, in the first couple of uh, verses in uh, chapter 1, it says... Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good for me also, having followed all things closely for, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have, that you have been taught. So Theophilus, it looks like he was maybe like a Roman official because he referred to him as most excellent Theophilus. And what, why did he write the book? It says here, having followed all things closely in some time past to write an orderly account for you. So, so Luke was a historian here. He did research. He gathered information from different places. There are some places where... Uh, he gets some information, like let's say Mary, when, 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 the, when um, we're going to talk about it in a second, but you know, we've all seen the, the, the nativity or something where the date angel came to Mary and spoke to her. How would he know what the angel said to Mary except if maybe he spoke to Mary? You know, or certain experiences that people had. So Luke did his homework may, uh, compiling all this information so that he can, uh, so he, so that he can uh, write this, this uh, complete account, this orderly account as he calls it. And he says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He wanted to write this as a defense, or as a proof of what had just happened just a few years before he wrote this with Jesus. We see that in a sense it's a continuation of what we've been reading. Uh, we, for the first couple of months of this year, we started going through the Old Testament. And we see that God had showed how he established that the Israelites were his people. And, he, and we see the story of the Israelites constantly we are rejecting their God with all the things that he had done for them, delivering them from Pharaoh and, and Egypt and all these great things. And he and they continued to go back and forth. 
And then we see the heart of a God that continues to pursue his people regardless whether they were faithful to him or not. God continued to remain faithful. He made covenants with them. He made pacts with them. And he continued to be faithful even though they were faithless during this time. And, and we know that if, if he was faithful for all the things in the past, we know that, guess what? He's going to be faithful for all the things that haven't taken place yet, right? We believe that. We know that. So um, one of the things that the, that the, Bible, the Bible said uh, uh, certain times in the Old Testament, it says that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is the same always. Even in the Old Testament where things were a little bit different, God was always gracious and he was always merciful. He was always faithful regardless on whether his people were faithful or not. So when we jump a little bit more into chapter 1, we see um, that the birth of John, of John the Baptist is, is announced here. Or we're later on going to know him as John the Baptist. Uh, there was a priest named Zechariah, and him and his wife Elizabeth were old. And uh, she never had a kid. She was barren. And when, John was, uh, when Zechariah was making his sacrifices in the temple, an angel named Gabriel came to visit him and said, You are going to have a son. And it says here in verse 16, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, and he will go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, who was one of the Old Testament prophets, to turn the heads of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God was, uh, or the angel was letting Zechariah know, hey, your son is going to be special. During this time, we spoke about the Old Testament prophets. They, they prophesied all the stuff that was going to happen. That we had 400 years of silence. That, that, that there was no prophetic word that went forth. So then after that, they're waiting. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for the, for the anointed one of God to come and to, and to free them from, from the rule of, 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 Ro- of Rome, which that's what they thought Jesus was going to do. But what happened? All of a sudden, this guy comes out, and he comes with the same anointing of the Old Testament prophets, calling his people or God's people to repent. And that's what John the Baptist did. The Bible says here that he was preparing the way for him, which is Jesus. And then we also see the birth of Jesus foretold here. We know that uh, Elizabeth, who is John's the Baptist's mother, had a cousin named Mary. And, and an angel visited her too and said, Mary, you have found favor in God's eyes. You are going to bear a son. And she's like, how is this going to happen? I'm not even married. And he's like, the Holy Spirit will, will come and you will conceive a son. And he's going to be the son. Let me read these verses instead of. Saying in my words, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We know that one of the covenants that God made with his people was actually with David. He said that the scepter was not going to was not going to depart from his family. So one of the reasons somebody had asked me yesterday about genealogies, one of the reasons why they have genealogies is to prove the lineage that Dave, that Jesus was a, a descendant of David. So, so this is the fulfillment of another, yet another prophecy that the kingdom was not going to depart from the family of David. And it says here that he will rule and his kingdom will have no end. So Jesus is the king of the Jews. We know that, um, I mean, one thing I didn't say that everybody knows, Mary was, was, was engaged to Joseph. She had not been with anybody. But, um, and the, the, even the virgin birth 
was a prophecy in the book of Isaiah and even some of the books that the virgin was going to bring, bring forth a child. And this is who Jesus is. So um, jumping past Luke, 3 to Luke, um, Luke 2 to Luke 3, John the Baptist was out there, like I said, uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and, and telling people to repent and to be baptized and to come back to God. And verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Right here we see uh, uh, the Trinity in action. We see Jesus getting baptized. We see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. And we see the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, this, this, the Luke version is a short version of the baptism, but if you want to read like a real cool one that has more detail, in the book of John, there's a real awesome uh, telling of the story of Jesus' baptism. So what happened after that? Jesus uh, was led into the, into the desert, into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he was tempted by Satan. And um, Satan tempted him with three different things, and Jesus uh, overcame that temptation, fighting back with the Word of God. And right after that, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and I'm going to go to uh, chapter 4, verse 14 here. And it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus, it was his practice to go around and to teach in the synagogues. Verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth, which is his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was, where it was written. Now, instead of continuing reading the verses in Luke, I'm actually going to the Isaiah verses. This is the part of this. In Isaiah 61, Jesus actually wrote this, uh, read this part of scripture to them. Isaiah was in the Old Testament. It was written about 800 years before Jesus, but it was about Jesus. Basically, the whole Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, is about Jesus. But this was about Jesus. And it says, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And the word gospel, which we use a lot, means good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, and Zion is another name for Jerusalem, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So just talking about those last verses, we know um, what we have gone over here over the last couple of weeks. We were talking about the fact that God's people basically were destroyed by Babylon. The Babylonians came, they took them, and they exiled them to Babylon. They were taken as, as prisoners and as slaves. And later on, 
a long time after that, what had happened is that God had allowed for Cyrus to come into rule, and he allowed the Jews to come back into their land. But their land was destroyed, and things weren't the same. So they were waiting. When Jesus came, they were anticipating his coming for 400 years. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, desperate for him to come. And they thought that he was going to come and he was going to take them from out of the rule of the Romans. They thought he was going to come as a political leader or as a military leader. But we know that Jesus didn't come for that. He came instead of freeing them from the, the Roman rule. He came to free them from their sin. Anyway, look, look at these things. It says to proclaim liberty to the captives, to comfort those who mourn. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Jesus came and with the gospel, with salvation, he, he came with the word of salvation, but he also was concerned for the people and the pain that they were going through. We said before that, that one of the points of, 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 of the book of Luke is that it is to show Jesus' his, humility and his compassion. He came to seek the sa- and save the lost. And right after that, in verse 20, going back to, 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 uh, to Luke 4, it says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say, to, and he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your healing. He's basically said, Hey, you know the one that you've been waiting for the last 400 years? I'm him. So he took the mic, dropped the mic, and walked out. No, nah. But you know what I'm saying? So he was saying, you guys have been waiting for me. I am him. And what happened in Nazareth? They said, what? Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? And they rejected Jesus because of this, because they saw him as a common person, but they didn't realize that he was the son of God. And this is another thing that happened even within the Jews. A lot of them rejected him because of the same thing. But right after this, and, and these verses that we're reading over here, like I said, Jesus wants to save us for eternal, give us eternal salvation. But we also see the heart of compassion, the heart of God when he sees the broken people, when he sees people that are hurting, when he sees the poor, when he sees people in jail, all these things. Jesus' heart is to reach out to them and to bring them to know what true life is all about. And one of the, the points of the book of Luke, like I said, is to show the compassion of God. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So God's heart broke for these people. And that's one of the reasons why he sent his son to die for them. So Jesus, right after that, he went out. He, like I said, he dropped the mic, left, and went out and started preaching the good news of the kingdom to people. He started healing the sick. He started uh, casting out demons from people that were possessed. And after that, in, in Luke chapter 5, he gathered around 12 guys. These are the 12 disciples. He, together, he started teaching them who he was, and they went out there. And started to proclaim uh, the, the lib- liberty to the people that were bound in sin. Started proclaiming freedom. He started proclaiming healing and going and healing people in the power of God. So the kingdom of God jumped on the scene and was dynamic. It was different. It was different than anything that they were seeing. Because they had the Jewish leaders. They had the Pharisees. But this was totally different. So the Pharisees started saying, hey, what's going on here? This guy doesn't look like us. He doesn't talk like us. He doesn't act like us. 
and they had a and, and during this time within the, the 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 Jewish religion, there were a lot of traditions that had formed, and these traditions, these Pharisees who were the religious leaders, they held these traditions almost as equal as the Word of God. Jesus was religious in the sense that he followed the law perfectly, because he was God and he was able to do that. He followed the law perfectly. The, he fulfilled the laws that were in the Word of God, but he didn't care about the traditions that they were that they were teaching, the religious traditions. You know, there were things that they taught, like, and, and when they started looking at him, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting down with sinners? But didn't Jesus already say, I came to free, to free the people that are bound, to love the poor, to heal the brokenhearted? So, but the Pharisees, they would not spend time with sinners. They would, spend, they would not spend time with them, and they wanted to continue to follow these traditions. And Jesus was not about the tradition of man, but he was about the word of God. And one of the, the weirdest things is that Jesus' greatest en- enemy during his time on earth was not the sinners. His greatest enemy were the religious people. People that they knew the truth of here, up here, but they never came here. They might have lived a certain way, but they were dead spiritually. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So they were clean on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. So this started to rub, like I said, the Pharisees the wrong way. And who's the ones that actually got Jesus to be arrested and got him killed? Was it the sinners? It was the Pharisees. And by this, by we see the way that Jesus lived and his compassion for the broken we see the heart of God here. God is compassionate and kind. God loves to bring peace and healing to those that are broken, those that are bound in addiction, those that are, that are, that are, uh, that are rejected by society. You know, Jesus went and he, he went and he, he spent time with, with prostitutes even. He spent time with, but not only well, the people that, the, the, the sinners that we see like low in society, also with the tax collectors. Because they were sinners too. They were rich. They were thought of to be sellouts because these were Jew- Jewish people that were given the power to collect the taxes. And what they did is they actually used to cheat the people. You know, so Jesus spent time with all sinners regardless of what kind of sinners they were. The one that were considered low in society, the ones that were considered high in society. And either way, he was compassionate towards them. Like I said, one of the things that the book of Luke does is that it shows the compassion of God towards the sinner. And another thing about the book of Luke... The book of Luke mentions women 45 times. And for this time, during this, women were considered second-class citizens during this time. But Jesus did not consider them second-class citizens. He showed them uh, equal love as, as he did with the men. He treated them with equality. He mentioned uh, women uh, that were disciples of his, followers of his. He mentioned women that gave him financial support. And there were women that stuck with Jesus from the time that he went on trial to the time that he was crucified. Some of his disciples didn't even do that. And when he resurrected, who was the first people he, he appeared to? Women. I think it's just because women talk a lot, so they knew that he, he knew that they can spread the word. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. No, but anyway. So, you know, so anyway, so he appeared to women because of that. And, and Jesus also gave special attention to the, to, the, to the crippled and the weak. 
he would go and bring healing to them. And if he saw a crippled beggar on the floor, he wouldn't just walk by. He would go and, and talk to him and, 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 and heal him and, and, and bring him news of the kingdom of God. Jesus loved the poor and needy. He loved the outcast. For this, we're going to read some, uh, some of the parables. One of them is, is the good Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Samaritans were considered like half-breeds. And, if, and within the history of Israel, they were always like a, like a bootleg Jewish race, if that makes sense. But anyway, but, you know, so, so the thing is that they hated each other. They didn't like each other. That's why it was a big deal, if you guys have ever read the story about, about Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. One thing is that she was a woman alone, and he wasn't supposed to speak to her. And also, she's a Samaritan. You know, they were just considered disgusting to the Jews. So then he tells the story of the good Samaritan where the, where the priest, uh, I forgot what was the other person that didn't take care of this person, but the Samaritan did, you know. So even that, he breaks even racial barriers here against whatever tradition it was. And he also, like I said, he sat down with, he spoke to, and he forgave the lowly, prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus was, had a heart for the sinner. He wanted to reach out to people. And the last story we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 7. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, Luke chapter 7 says, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster f- flask of, an, of anointment. And what they did during this time, you know, water wasn't as common as it is today. So what they would use oil for is for refreshing. They would put oil on their dry feet. They would put oil on their scalp, and they would anoint themselves with the oil. So she came with a flask of oil. And one of the other, uh, I think it's in the book of Matthew, it says that she takes this flask full of oil, and she breaks it. So she's not just pouring out a little bit. This, it, it, it says that this is all she had, and she broke this and poured on Jesus' head and anoints him with it, which is like an, an offering. You know what I'm saying? And which, you know, in a sense, as we look at, at the expression of worshiping someone and seeing what they value, she gave all that she, all that she had to Jesus at that moment. And this sort of reflection for us as we worship him, we should give all that we have. She didn't give a piece, a drop. She broke it and gave everything to him. So anyway, verse 38 says, And standing behind him at, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head and kissed the feet and anointed them with, with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him said this, he said to him, if, thi- if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, of course, Jesus knows everybody's heart. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owned him five denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them which will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for which he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from that time I came, I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But... 
he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman recognized who Jesus was. She recognized that he was the son of God. She recognized that he was the Messiah. And she was convicted of her sin. So what did she do? She went and she offered her worship to him. She, off, she was offering her life to him when she did this. And I lied before. I said this is the last story I'm, I was going to read. I'm going to read one more. So anyway, the last one I'm going to read is in um, chapter 9. And, um, and I'm just going to read it. It says, now it happened that as, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist. But other, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, the anointed one of God. And verse 21 says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things, to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third and on the third day be raised. So Jesus was letting them know, hey, I came here. Yes, I'm the anointed one of God. You are right in what you say. But I, I'm coming here to serve. I'm not coming here to be served, but to serve. Verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So basically, Jesus was, was letting them know, hey, I came here to die but I'm also going to tell you, if you come and you follow me, you're going to die also. You're going to die to yourself. You're going to live for me. And I've heard so many people use the term, take up my, um, you know, I have to carry my cross. They're like, oh, you know, I have these foot pain, but I got to carry my cross. And it's used improperly here. When he's talking about, when he's talking about carrying the cross here, he's talking about what is the cost of being a disciple? What is the cost of being a follower of Jesus? The cost is your life. Jesus is asking. Jesus said, I'm giving my life to you, and I'm asking for your life in return. I'm asking you for you to trust me with your life in, in, in return. And this is what, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So this kingdom of God was different than what they were expecting. It was like an upside-down kingdom, or maybe it's right-side-up and just the world is upside-down. Is different than anything they were asking for. He didn't come at this moment to be a king so that, so that in, in, a, in the sense that people were to come and serve him, but he came to be the servant king. So the, so the book of Luke shows us what the heart of God is, the compassion of God to go and to seek and to save the lost.